So the priesthood of all believers is, of course, of axiomatic concern for all Protestant ecclesiologies, thanks to Luther and Calvin and the radical Protestants. I have two or three reflections to offer this morning on what, of course, is a, a vast topic. First of all, I wonder if there's something valid and continuous about the priesthood of all believers, which is both ancient and modern. Is there a first principle about the priesthood of all believers that reflects a social and perhaps religious organizing principle as ancient as humanity? Now, you and I employ first principles all the time in math, in science, in physics, and at least metaphorically in faith. Now come with me for a moment to my backyard in Guelph. I was trying the other day to remember how to solve for the hypotenuse. Do you recall that formula? If you have a right angle triangle, the square of side A plus the square of side B equals square of side C. I couldn't remember that. But even faculty at Wycliffe need to figure these things out, especially if it's Saturday afternoon and you're trying to design a really nice fence in your backyard with a little bit of ornamentation on the top. So many mathematical principles are ancient, immutable first principles at the heart of philosophy and logic. And they've been applied for thousands of years to aesthetics, to the design of a chair, to the proportions of a chapel, to the planning of a city. Long before Pythagoras, Egyptian builders used ropes knotted exactly at 3, 4, 5 in order to lay out perfect right angles. And even the Babylonians seem to have sorted out the secret of the hypotenuse centuries before the Greeks. I like to think that maybe even Jesus had an inkling about the hypotenuse. If you think about it, in first century Nazareth, when a tectone who is a carpenter, a craftsperson, a builder, was hired to assemble and hang a door, the hypotenuse of the right angle triangle would have been to that craftsperson a millennia old mathematical principle already. And any apprentice to the tectone would have had to learn and practice it for the trade. So similarly, I wonder if First Peter and the royal the holy priesthood takes us back to a faith first principle, back even to Israel's pre-origins. In Exodus 19.6, it was a reforming group of landless, illiterate slaves who first heard this call to liberation. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Israel was also called a holy priesthood. In Isaiah, for example. Centuries later, Jesus himself riles against those religious castes and structures and personalities that have accrued authority to themselves. They have lost the first principle, the vision of becoming a kingdom of priests. And they ossified this Exodus call into rigid and exclusive socio-political religious institutions. So I guess my first reflection on the Reformation priesthood of all believers is to ask how we might seek its continuity in divine narrative history. 
there is something about the priesthood of all believers that reflects a social and religious organizing principle as ancient as humanity. It does echo that Exodus call from slavery to a new social, political, economic, and religious life as the gathered people of Yahweh. It also links to Jesus' centrifugal and centripetal actions to build a whole new community. Centripetal, he gathers into the center the vulnerable, the marginalized, the children, the least ones. Centrifugal, he pushes the traditional power brokers to the margins. Well, there's much to be explored here, but uh, I have a second reflection. Because even if something as if there is something timeless and continuous about the priesthood of all believers, there's also something radically new. Every shifting context demands its readaptation, whether Exodus, first century Ecclesia, or Reformation. Like some of you, I grew up in a church that held strongly to the priesthood of all believers. Over the years, I've joined a number of Protestant communities as I've lived around the world, but they have all held to this tradition very diversely. Among them, the Baptists, the Anabaptists, Swedish Covenant, Methodists, and Anglicans. I realized early on that the priesthood of all believers was not a single doctrine, but a diverse continuum unleashed by the schisms following Martin Luther and John Calvin. So what does that continuum look like? Well, if we had time, I would ask you all to think about your own church's position on the priesthood of all believers continuum. We could take a position along a line here in chapel. We could decide together, how do we define that continuum? On one wall, we might have a sign that says something like, 100% priesthood of all believers, where all believers practice Luther's seven priestly functions. And at the other side, we might have 100% only ordained priesthood practices these functions. And then in between, of course, a range of gradations blending all the distinctives between these two extremes. So where, where would we place our communities of Christians on this continuum? Some of us might actually discover that we need more than one position on the continuum as we look at what might be official doctrine in our churches and our denominations and we look at practice as it changes over time and in context. Priesthood of all believers is not a single concept and it is not static. This contemporary continuum is what 500 years of Reformation has given us. Martin Luther thought that the word priest should become as common as the word Christian, he said, because all Christians are priests. Luther, of course, was the most powerfully prolific and important teacher on the subject. He touches on aspects of the, of the priesthood of all believers in at least, I think, 50 of his documents. And in 15 of them, he addresses it at length. He identified preaching, sacrifice, and prayer as central functions of the priesthood of all believers. And then later, and in different places, he adds four more, bearing the keys, judging doctrine, baptizing, and celebrating the Eucharist. Calvin, of course, took us more towards the believer's priestly union with Christ 
and the resultant priestly access to the Father in prayer and Bible study. He also discussed the priesthood in relation to vocations. But of course, a number of reformers, Anabaptists among them, took much stronger stances on a more radically egalitarian priesthood. And at times they paid with dire consequences. So this pushes me to the third reflection that the reformers' own diversity drives us back into the heart of scripture every time. And to its continuous call to reformation, to reformation, of God's people. Engaging First Peter reminds us that the purpose of all ecclesiology is not to differentiate Baptists from Anglicans and from Catholics. Ecclesiology is a diverse end or diverse means to a common end. And our end is to worship and serve and be reunited with the triune God and to be reconciled with all of God's creation. In 1 Peter 2, these reborn members of the community of Christ have their new identity established, and the shape of their new community is described in priesthood, temple, and sacrifice terms. Essentially, the formerly Jewish identity of God's people has now become theirs. They are now a priesthood to God. The building metaphor, of course, is rich with description. Community members are like a spiritual house, both as a new genre of household built on Christ's living cornerstone, and in the process also becoming the holy temple of God. They are transformed as well into a holy priesthood to offer sacrificial or spiritual sacrifices to God. In contrast with the stumbling rejectors, they receive four honorific titles drawn from Exodus and Isaiah. You are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy people, and God's own possession. So we Christians have here in this passage become identifiably God's own people. All the titles that once attributed to Israel are ours. We are living stones in the spiritual temple established on Jesus Christ as cornerstone, a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices to God through our prayer, our praise, our worship, our living, and our praxis. The priesthood of the community is for the purpose of proclaiming God's mighty acts in Jesus, Peter tells us, bringing us and others out of darkness into light. In the end, these brief explorations of the priesthood of all believers have uncovered a lament among many commentators, a lament that Reformation and Protestant ecclesiologies are not necessarily in good health. Some refer to the current ecclesial confusion, and they call for a fresh examination of the priesthood of all believers as a means of rejuvenation. 1 Peter 2 is a good place to restart this critical reformation dialogue. First Peter completes the portrayal of the existence of Christians and of our essence. Christian existence is lived out as the realization of community, koinonia and diakonia in the midst of society. 
as one follows in discipleship the exalted Christ. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you might proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Amen.